so much for that sweet time of worship. The songs and the words were so ministering and such a blessing. And we are so grateful to have the privilege to come here tonight. And thank you for those who are online. Welcome back family, our online family who we missed last week uh, because of the storm. But uh, we know you were, you were here in, in spirit and, and we're glad to have you back anyway. So... Um, what a blessed time we had Sunday night with, with uh, Trunk or Treat. Uh, that was uh, amazing. And I know many of the neighbors who came were blessed and uh, received what we had to offer and were overjoyed to come. And so I, on behalf of my wife, am happy to thank all of you who stepped out and, and made your trunks. They are all wonderful and creative and, and anointed and, and the love was, was sent, uh, sensed there. So uh, what a grateful time. It was really a lot of fun. And uh, so again, I, I thank you for that. Well, uh, tonight is uh, another night we're going to probe into the, uh, the kingdom of God. This is, a, well, surprisingly a third night, a third night in our series. And, um, and we should be able to wrap it up tonight um, for sure. The kingdom of God. So we'll start with our key scripture, uh, Romans 14, if you could put that up. And uh, verse 17, we talked this, uh, so two weeks ago we started this message and uh, we got down through a good part of it and then uh, last week we talked in depth about one of the aspects and tonight we're talking about two more and then we'll sum it all up together. So, uh, so stay with me, there's going to be a lot of scriptures but it is Wednesday night Bible study so we are going to study the Bible tonight in the name of Jesus, amen. All right, so this is the scripture we have for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So we looked at the scripture, we looked at it in the context of Romans 14, and we all recognize, yes, in the context of this chapter, we are talking about righteousness, peace, and joy here on the earth now. We're not talking about it in heaven. Yes, it'll be there as well, of course. Uh, but, but we're talking about it here and now. How should we be living out our lives as part of the kingdom in this world? How, how should we be representing God here and now? And as we ask that question of ourselves, we, we, you know, we said, well, if the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy, and if we all think we're part of the kingdom, then do we see righteousness, peace, and joy in us? Do we see it in ourselves individually? Do we see it ourselves in this church body? Do we see it in our global church body? Is righteousness, peace, and joy evident in such a way that those who don't know Christ can see him in us and be drawn to it? And we all, I think, agreed. I didn't get a lot of amens to this, but I think we all agreed, no, we are not there, right? We are not where we should be. So I challenge us, well, how do we know we're even in the kingdom of God then? And then we talked about in John chapter 3 where the Bible says that you can't enter the kingdom of God unless you are born again, unless you are born of water and the Spirit. So that's your entrance into the kingdom of God is receiving the Holy Spirit. So by that truth and understanding, we know that, well, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you enter into the kingdom of God. So all of us who consider ourselves part of the body of Christ, because of that experience, are, yes, part of the kingdom of God. And therefore, the onus is on us to represent that kingdom of which we call ourselves a member of, right? So, so that was where we started. And then we said, well, if the kingdom should be righteousness, peace, and joy, and we're not there, what does that mean? So there's another scripture that we pulled up 
uh, Matthew 4:17. You can put that up if you would. Um, and this is in context with, we started really with John the Baptist when he came. When John the Baptist came, what was he preaching? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand, right? And here, uh, when Jesus took on the mantle from the time he was baptized with the Holy Spirit, he went out and he began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we talked about the word repentance and we thought, well, what does that mean? And so I described it to you this way. It says, well, when we have to repent, it's because we've come to the knowledge of something that we're not happy with, something that we know we need to change, something has been made our awareness of. In the case of Jesus, most of the people he came to see weren't even aware of a kingdom of God. They didn't even know there was a kingdom there. And then when they heard the message of John the Baptist, they said, oh, there's a kingdom of God. I'm a sinful person. Let me repent for the remission of sins so that I may see this kingdom when he comes. And so repentance is really recognizing a situation and then making a change. It's a verb. It's an action. You want to step out and do something different to make the change you need to make so that you can be pleasing or, or welcomed by the kingdom of God. So, so we talked about repentance in that case and now that we've all sort of received this is two weeks ago so I'm going to go into detail we've got a lot more to cover tonight but what we recognized was that if the church body today is not walking in righteousness peace and joy we don't have those characteristics of our key scripture we need to repent we need to do something different now that we're recognizing that we are not representing God uh, the way we should but I, I took the time and I want, to, I want to read this scripture again tonight because this Repentance is not just related to those who are sinners who need to be saved. And, you know, that's sometimes the awareness that we have. Well, good news, I've repented, Jesus is my Lord, I'm saved, I'm good, I don't know about y'all, but I'm going to heaven. Right? And that's the, the, the extent to which we take it. But the Lord is now looking to us, his body on the earth today, to bring that message further to bring others in because he doesn't want any to be lost, right? He wants us all to be able to make those statements that we just made. And so he's depending on and relying on us to do the work. So he also calls his church into repentance. So we're going to look at Revelation chapter 3. Again, this is a review, so I'll go through it quickly. But just so you can see the weight, the magnitude, the importance of repentance, why we need to do this. This is the head of the church. This is the king of the kingdom of God speaking to his kingdom, to his subjects, speaking to us, and to the angel of the church in Sardis write, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember therefore how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore if you will not watch I will come upon you as a thief and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. So we see here that there's aspects of his church, of his body on the earth that the Lord is not happy with. And this of course was written uh, a long time ago but it's relevant to the church today particularly when we acknowledge and recognize that the church is not where we think we should be or where the word says we should be. Correct? Am I, am I saying? You guys are with me, right? Good. Okay. Um, so, so it's important that we repent. And so what we want to endeavor to take on is, well, okay, Lord, we hear you. We understand that change has to take place in what we do. 
And we know that we need you to show us how. You know, uh, the, the scripture where, where the prophet is asked, well, can these bones live? And, and he's smart enough to go, Lord, you know, <laughs> right? We don't necessarily know how to repent or what God needs us to repent from. And so through tonight, we're going to circle the wagons around a few things that are clear to all of us. And he'll show us not only what he wants us to change, but he'll also show us how to change. He's not going to just say, do it, good luck, call me when you're done. That's not the God we serve, right? He's going to give us the equipment, the capability to change, the direction to change, and hopefully through tonight and, and further messages, we will be stirred up to actually do the change. Remember last week we talked about change is not change until it's changed? In other words, if you don't actually go and do these things, you may intend to repent, but you didn't repent. Confession of your sin is not repentance. It's just acknowledging. Confession is a deeper word than speaking. I know I, I said that it was a speaking thing last week, but confession is owning it. So when you first start out and say, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy, and you say, and we're not there, that's a confession. You're owning it. You're realizing I'm part of that kingdom that we just said is not where it should be. And in fact, if you ask someone in the world, what does the kingdom of God look like, you get all kinds of rotten answers, don't you? You know, what does the church mean to you today? Oh, archaic, they, they're, they're just antiquated, they don't, they're not up to speed with the latest information, they're stuck in their ways, they're traditionalists, they're holier than thou. We went through a much bigger list in the first lesson. And so, so, uh, so we realize that this, this repentance has to take place. So last week we started to dig in and say, all right, what is it that we need to repent from? And so we're looking for righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's the kingdom of God. And if we're not there, we'll start with righteousness. What is the opposite of righteousness? Well, we, we answered that one pretty quickly together. It's, it's unrighteousness. That's kind of not a hard question. The opposite of righteousness, unrighteousness. So unrighteousness is what we need to repent from. And John, 1 John 5, 17 says all unrighteousness is sin. So righteousness, righteousness and sin are synonymous. So so we talked about that last week. And it's important to really get a hold of this because we need to think differently about what God says who we are. When we were born again, when we were filled with the Spirit, we got a new nature in us, didn't we? We got a nature of righteousness. The sin nature was done away with. It was crucified. It was buried and died with Christ when he was buried. And so we need to grasp a hold of the fact that sin has no place in a holy body, in a righteous body. Hebrews 10, 16 to 18. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and in their minds I will write them. And then he adds their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. We talked about this last week. Psalm 103.12 says it very simply, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. These truths are spiritual truths that we need to meditate on. We need to absorb into our, our psyche. We need to renew our mind to these facts. Sin has no place in us anymore. But the good news is, is that God no longer remembers them. He has put them as far as the east is from the west away from him. And so I asked the question last week, I said, well, why is righteous living here on the earth so important if the sin problem is taken care of? If sin is abolished in the body of Christ, well, it's a big deal if I, if I 
you know, slipper every now and again. Why should I worry about living righteously on the earth? And so then we dug into to Romans chapter 6, and, uh, and, and that sort of corrected us. I'll, I'll do a shortened version of it, really just to, to, particularly for you folks online who maybe not uh, been able to pick up the podcast this week, I want you to listen to these words in Romans 6, and we'll just do 15 through 19. What then shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves to whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Paul writes, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh, for, for just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness, leading to more righteousness unto holiness. Romans 6. So there's a lot of points in here that we talked about last week, but what we really focused in on is this. One, slave has no more dominion over you. It has no more authority. It does not have the, 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 the power to force you into it. When you were a sinner, that's what you did. So whether you knew it was sin or not, you sinned, right? Because that was the nature you had. It had dominion over you. And so you might live really, really well for a while, but eventually you're going to do something wrong because that was your nature. And sadly enough, sin is one of those things that we talked about last week where, where you get down the road of sin and you start doing it more because, well, nothing really happened the first time. Maybe a little bit more this time. You know, I use the example of donuts, kind of one of my weak spots. Donuts aren't sinful, by the way, unless you have seven of them. And then it becomes gluttony, which is a sin listed in Ephesians, I think. But anyway, the point is this. You have that first donut. Say, well, that's pretty good. Uh, and maybe I'll take one back to my desk with me because these are my faves, right? So an hour later, you have the second one. And, and as you're walking back down the hall of the cafeteria, look, there's one more left in the box. Well, we can't let that go to waste, right? So the next thing you know, you're on your third one. So now you've gone from a little snack to gluttony. Now you're going to sin, right? I mean, this is a, a, a mild case. You know, but think about it in terms of sexual lust. Oh, she's pretty. You know, next thing you know, you're chatting. And the next thing you know, like, oh, let's have a, let's have a drink. Well, the next thing you know, you're ha- chatting and have a drink. The next thing you know, you're like, and then you don't plan to commit adultery. But over time, if you're not careful, that little bit of interest becomes a lot of interest, becomes too much interest, right? So sin leading to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. You follow me? Like sin, because sin is selfish, it's never satisfied. So you may think, all right, that was enough, I'm good. But it's never satisfied. And eventually you take that next step and that next step. And it leads to death. And that's the old nature. That's the way you were. But because our bodies are not yet renewed, that old nature wants to come up again, doesn't it? So it's our job to crucify that flesh daily. To put it back down because we are no longer under dominion of sin. It no longer has its dominion over us. It now, now we are what? Slaves unto righteousness. So it's our choice now to choose or to pursue righteousness. That's who we are going to serve. You are not, and this is the point I want to make again, you are not your own authority. 
you, you may think, well, I was under sin and that had dominion over me, but now I've been delivered by, from sin by Christ Jesus, by his blood, and therefore I'm free from sin. But that's only half the story. That doesn't mean you are set to be your own authority, your own king. And then you can choose what's right and wrong. <laughs> that's the autonomy that becomes our Achilles today. It starts in the garden. Satan said, if you eat this fruit, you will be like God. In other words, you will have autonomy, authority over your own life. That was the temptation. And that's what they wanted to receive when they ate that. But what they didn't realize is that when they chose to obey that temptation in, in Satan, that one slave they became. So when they chose to obey God before the fall... They were that one slave. They were slaves unto righteousness, unto God. And the Holy Spirit was with them. But when they chose to obey the temptation of Satan, they weren't getting liberated to be like God, to be their own king. They actually went under the dominion of Satan by that choice. And so now they were under sin and slaves of sin, and that's what we were all born into. Does that make sense? So, so don't think, and this is how the world thinks, I'm my own person. I'm not subject to anybody. And that's the hugest deception there ever was. Because you are subject to somebody. You are subject to either sin or righteousness. And you're born into the sinful state whether you're really good or really bad. It doesn't matter what your actions are. It matters is your relationship with God. And you can't have a sinful nature in the relationship with the Holy Father. Those two don't go together. Your sinful relationship is in relationship with your father, the devil. That's what Jesus talked to the Pharisees about in John chapter 8, I believe. But now we have a new father, don't we? We have a holy father, thank you, Lord, uh, because of the blood of Jesus. And we had that great exchange, and we talked about that, where we got his righteousness, he bore our sin, he paid the price for our sin, so we didn't have to pay that price. And, but because the price was paid, now a righteous God can now welcome us into his righteous kingdom with holiness because the price was paid by our Lord and the Savior. Oh, how he loves us. I was thinking about that when we sang that song today. He paid the price for our sinful, sinful ways that we didn't even know were sinful. But now we know. So it's important that, that we don't just ignore the fact that or, or accept the fact that, we, that our sins are, are forgotten by God because, because he has given us an obligation that is to live righteous. And so, uh, let's put 1 Peter 2.24 up here, because again, this is review, and I'm already halfway through the night. Uh, so, 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that, that we, us, you and I, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Now, if I have a show of hands tonight... All of you would probably have recognized the second half of that verse. Glory to God, by whose stripes I am healed. Thank you, Jesus. Take this, take this hurt away from me. Right? But how many of you are disciplined to die to yourself daily, die to your sins daily, and step out to live righteously? That's the responsibility. The responsibility we have is to represent righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost to a world who's never seen it before. And if we don't carry our responsibility, why should we have the authority to be able to heal the sick? Responsibility is always given ahead of authority, or, or for uh, authority is always given to carry out a responsibility, is a better way to say it. 
So it's important to recognize that, that we need to repent from any sin that we have. Genuine righteousness in all meekness and humility empowered by love. Here's the four things that I want to point out to you. I'm going to read that sentence again. Genuine righteousness in all meekness and humility empowered by love. One, will have fruit unto holiness. Two, it will draw people, men and women, toward God. Three, it will draw persecution from those who are threatened by it. And four, it will glorify God. Those are the fruits that we would see from us walking in righteousness. If you're not getting persecuted, if you're not drawing people to God, if you're not living a holy life, if you're not glorifying God, you may still be living in sin. And you may not even know it. But God's calling us out. He's saying, look, I love you. I chasten you. I'm, rep- I'm calling you to repentance, to change, to think about this. And then he's not leaving us alone to say, good luck, call me when you're done. He's showing us how. Galatians 5, 16 to 18. He says, I say then, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Remember when we talked about your entrance into the kingdom of God two weeks ago and we said, look, when you are born of the water and of the Spirit, you become part of the kingdom of God. You are transformed from the power of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son. We talked about that. The Holy Spirit came to live in you. He's in us. He abides in us. And, and he is in here, and by remembering and renewing your mind to that truth, anytime a temptation comes before you, you then turn to the Spirit of God. And he strengthens you to say no. He strengthens you to say, that's not for me, that was the old man. I'm a child of God, and I will do what my Father tells me to do. I mean, look at how Jesus walked. Jesus lived on the earth 33 and a half years and never sinned, ever. Now, Jesus was born of the Spirit from birth because his Father was the Holy Spirit. Right? So, so he had the Spirit in him all along, but he was also tempted in all ways as we are. And he didn't sin. Think about it. I mean, people were thronging him. People wanted him. People were, were either infatuated with him because he had the love of God pouring out of him. And, and, they, and they wanted things from him. Or they wanted his power. They wanted to abuse. They wanted him to do. There's so many things that they were pulling on him to do. And he constantly said, I only do what my father tells me to do. He never sinned. He was tempted in all ways, even to do good things. But if they are outside of the will of the father, he would not do them. I think about the story of Lazarus. His dear friend Lazarus, he here is sick. And, 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 he, and he knows he can go heal him. And he wants to go, but he doesn't go. He waits, and then it's too late, he's dead, right? Well, it's not too late. But his father said, wait, don't go. And so he waited. I'll bet if God had said, go, he would have gone. But he waited because this was to show Mary and Martha and others that God can raise people from the dead. And, and so, of course, uh, to represent that he is indeed the resurrection and the life. So, so, so God's, God the Father has a purpose And it's important that we follow that purpose, not self-purpose. And so he's put the Spirit of God in us so that um, we can live according to the will of the Father. 
and not walk in that sin. So that rather than just saying we're alive, Revelation chapter 3, we can be alive because we recognize the life that is in us, the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? So a simpler way, and this is maybe more condemning to some of us, James 4.17, James 4.17 says, Therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. So it's not just the, the adultery and the murder and the, and the stealing and the things that you say, I don't do those things. It's the small things too, the gossip and the, and the backbiting and the bittering and the, the gluttony I talked about earlier. Man, I'm going to never have a donut again. <laughs> um, but it's also not doing what you know to do that's right. So, so when you feel the, 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 the stirring of the Holy Spirit to do something right for somebody else, even if it's inconvenient, do it. Otherwise, it's sin. Not good. So it's so important if we're going to represent the Lord on the earth and walk in righteousness, peace, and joy, we need to not walk in unrighteousness. Pretty straightforward. And he has put the Spirit of God in us to help us do that. Now, let's talk about the next one. Peace. Shout, shout it out. What is the opposite of peace? Let me hear you. Unrest. What else? Got to shout. I can't hear so well. I'll come down here. Misery. What else? Opposite of peace. What? No, I'm looking for opposites. So, strife. Uh, turmoil. Chaos, wars, fights. It's, it's, it's all these things that just cause confusion, uh, anxiety. They cause stress. Uh, there, there, there's just, just conflict. Th- those are the things that are opposite of, of, of peace. What I'm going to do in, in tonight's message is sum that all up into the word strife. Just because it's easier, right? So, so whatever, whatever is, is, is not peaceful is strife of some kind. Uh, it may be emotional strife, anxiety, things like that. Maybe physical strife. Maybe you're at odds with your brother or your mother or whatever. Um, and so before I... So I'm going to read a bunch of scriptures. And what I want you to do is take heed to these. So we talk about repentance is, is, is in the mind to take heed of, to think differently about these spiritual truths. So I'm going to read through these fairly quickly. Uh, and Brian will keep up with me here. But, but as we go through them, I want you to listen for the word peace. And, and you'll see how these are spiritual truths that we need to think about. We'll start with uh, Romans 5.1. Uh, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 10.15. And how shall they preach unless they are sent? That is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. First Thessalonians, Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who, is also, who also will do it. 1 Corinthians fourteen thirty three. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Philippians 6, 4, 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. 
lots of scriptural, spiritual truths about God and peace. It makes sense that it should be part of the kingdom of God, righteousness, peace, and joy, right? So I'll sum them for you this way. One, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Two, our gospel is a gospel of peace. Three, God is a God of peace. Four, God authors peace in our lives, not confusion. Five, uh, God provides his peace and it surpasses all understanding. Now, let me ask you this question. Is this how you feel today? Is this how you are today? Is this where we are today? Do we stand in that level of peace? Think about the world today. I mean, what a, what a mess, right? And we all live in this world. Do we represent a, a sanctuary for people because of the peace we have here? I, I would say not. Now, again, there may be some of you who have this knock, knocked down, and that's awesome. And, and I, I'm not arguing with you if that's you. Um, we need you. We need you to come and bring the rest of us along because, because you found that peace and you're walking it in a way that we need to learn from. So if this is not you, don't feel like I'm trying to, you know, uh, fit something on you that doesn't fit. But if it is you, take heed, listen to the spiritual truth, and change. Repent, right? So, so that's what we need to think about. So, so our, if they're not here... What are we going to do about it? Well, so let's talk about the world. Where, where do we see this strife? In what realms is strife so prevalent today? I mean, obviously, I mean, at work, where do they tell you don't talk about religion and politics? Well, to me, those are like the two most important things in this country, religion and politics. So all I get is the Red Sox and the weather. You know, there's not a whole lot of depth there. But why can't we talk about religion and politics? Because it brings strife. People don't know how to talk about those things anymore with good-spirited debate and conversation, with a listening ear to the other side to say, oh, I see where you're coming from there. I'm not sure I agree with that, but I understand your point. You don't hear that anymore. You hear hatred. You hear slamming. You hear, you hear people bashing as opposed to idea challenging. It's, it's, it's horrible, right? And, and it's not only in race and religion and politics, it's in race. Well, you know, we've just encountered a huge upheaval in this last year. Uh, a, re, a refreshing of the things that we haven't solved yet when it comes to race. We need to improve there for sure. Um, and families. I mean, uh, everyone, I've heard this expression from, from peers. Is it, you know, when you're going away, oh, is it fun or is it family? Well, well it should be the same, right? You should have fun with your family. But some families are strife, full of strife. Um, so, so it's important. Work, school, how about bullying? I mean, bullying is a terrible thing. Online bullying, physical bullying, just a horrible thing. Strife is everywhere. I don't think I need to beat that to death. You understand that. So where does the world turn for peace? If they're not coming to us because they don't see in us, where do they go for peace? Where do they go? Drugs? Social media? Sex? Pornography? Where does the world go? Gambling? Binge watching of their favorite sitcoms or you know whatever dramas on TV or Netflix or whatever. You bury yourself in things that aren't true. Or worse, you go to suicide because you can't find that peace. That's an indictment on the church because they should be able to come here and find peace. They should know they can turn to God and they can find God here and find peace. So important. How about in the church? Why isn't there peace in, in the church? 
You know, we, 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 we can strive over things like doctrine. You know, should we, should we have communion once a week or once a month? Should we have it with wine or grape juice? Um, should we sing slow songs? Should we have instruments in our worship or is that of the devil? Can we use something besides the King James Version, the, the authorized version? Um, so, so these things we argue over, which are silly. Even in our key scripture, you know, eating and drinking, there was discussion, should you eat meat offered to an idol or not? So, so there's strife over simple things, things that, that are important, but, but we strive over them. Praise and worship, slow song, fast song. You know, do we like the preacher? Do we like the singer? So many areas where we have strife in the church. And so that's one reason that we don't uh, have people running here for peace. But I want to talk to you guys tonight about one specific area, one global area that has implications to the church at large. And it's going to uh, refer to a point that Jesus said in John 13 and verse 34 and 35. Jesus told his disciples, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Do we find that level of love in the church? Are you willing to put down your agenda to help somebody else's? He laid down his life to help you. Do we love one another the way he loved us? That's a new commandment, not, not a suggestion, it's a commandment. John emphasizes this in his epistle, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 11. He said, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So grateful we sang that song tonight. In this the love of God was manifest toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins, beloved if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. How often do we hear saints talking poorly about other saints? Or about our pastors? Or about our church? I can't believe that person left the church and said this, that, and the other thing. I never want to see them again. I can't believe that pastor... All he preaches is this, that, and the other thing. I can't believe that worship team. Can't they bring the old classics back? You've heard it. I mean, you all have heard it. When you speak ill of your brother, you are speaking against the body of Christ. You're not loving one another as Christ loved us. He, he died for us when we were his enemies. Are you going to die for somebody else or are you going to continue to be enemies? James 4, 11 and 12. Let's look at what the Bible says about this. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. What law? The law I just said. Love one another as I have loved you. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Next verse. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you? to judge another. Romans 
14, 10 through 13. Why do you judge your brother? Why do you show contempt for your brother? We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Wow. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Repent. Don't speak, speak ill. Speak poorly. <laughs> Don't speak. I can't even speak. Speechless. Uh, this is what the world sees in us. And this is what we see in each other. Strife. In whatever phase you call it. And, uh, and it's saddening. Why? Why is there so much strife and division in the church? Well, 1 Corinthians 3 gives us the answer. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 3. And I've got to get going. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal as the babes in Christ, next verse, I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For there is envy, strife, divisions among you. Are you not carnal, behaving like mere men? What do you suppose the antidote to being carnal is? Walking in the Spirit, right? That's the answer. Hebrews 12. Well, let's not go there yet. Let's go to Romans 8, verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So that's the, that's the answer. If we have this kind of strife in the church because we're carnal and we're looking at each other as men in the flesh, we need to be spiritually minded and recognize these are our brothers and sisters in Christ. They're family. They're part of our body. And sure, they make mistakes. And sure, they say dumb things. And sure, they offend. And sure, they disappoint. Guess what? You'll, so do you. None of us are above that. But what do you do with it? Do you get angry? Do you hold a grudge? Do you let bitterness seek in? No. You forgive. And you walk in peace because you recognize the spiritual truth that goes, goes beyond that. Okay, I want to really get into this one. Let's look at John chapter 20, uh, verse 19 through 23. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut and the disciples were assembled together for, eat, for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, and his, or sorry, his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Verse 21, so Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. You see peace? You see the Holy Spirit. But watch this, verse 23. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Can you see the connection between peace and forgiveness? And if you don't forgive, they're not forgiven. 
that means you retain them. Now, here's the warning, of course. He says in, the, in Matthew 6, when he teaches us to pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those. And then at the end of that, he says, and if you don't forgive those, neither can your Father forgive you of yours. So it's not really an option not to forgive. We need to forgive. But the power here is that if we want peace, we have to walk in the Holy Spirit, which God gave when he said, peace be with you, to his disciples, the beginning of the church, and now we have the Holy Spirit too. And the sins, the, the offenses, we need to forgive. So the Spirit of God has given us the ability to forgive those even though they hurt. And if we don't, they are not forgiven, at least from our perspective. So if we want peace, we have to learn to forgive. Hebrews 12, 14 and 15 Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. You could say, without which no one will enter the kingdom of God. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. So offense leads to unforgiveness, unforgiveness, strife, strife, bitterness, bitterness defiles. See the progression? Nip it in the bud. Forgive. Forgive while your brother is walking with you and then you've gained your brother. Don't let it go any farther. Forgive. So important. Okay, so what's the antidote? The Holy Spirit within you. So let's talk quickly Romans 5, 1 through 5 and then we're going to move on to joy. Romans 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ whom also we have access by faith into this grace with which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance character, character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So even if you're struggling, even if you're offended, even if you're angry, the Holy Spirit's been poured out in us. Right? So, so if God is in us, we have the tool to walk in that peace even through the trials and tribulations that face us. So forgive and walk in that peace. So we have righteousness now because we're no longer living in sin. We have peace now because we're not walking in unforgiveness, but we're loving our brother as Christ loved us. Let's talk about joy. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. Good news, we have the Christmas season coming up. It's official. It's November. We can talk about Christmas now. Love to talk about Thanksgiving more, but that's okay. We're going to talk about Christmas. Uh, Christmas is a time of joy. And if there's any a time where the world will be looking for joy, it's now. And they should be able to see it, especially in the church at Christmas and, and at Easter time. But they should see it in us at all times. Right? Let's be honest. Let's read in Luke chapter 2. I love this passage. My favorite part of the Christmas story. Luke chapter 2. I'll read it all through with you, and then we'll go back and visit a couple points. Luke chapter 2, 8 through 14. Now look at this. Now, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and and the glory of the Lord, it shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people, not just the church, All people can have this great joy. For there is one born to you this day in the city of David, a Savior, 
who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you that you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. You see the joy in that gospel? The joy in that good news? What's the good news? That man is restored to God through Jesus Christ. You now have the ability to have a relationship with God because Christ made the way for you. That's good news. It's not peace among men necessarily, but it's definitely peace with God. And there's great joy. And this message was brought by an angel to shepherds. How much more when this message is brought by the children of God, which is you and me? Shouldn't there be even more glory when a son of God or a daughter of God brings the good news? than there is when an angel comes as a simple messenger. You're a child of God. Bring that message of joy. Don't let Christmas be one of these holidays where, oh, there's so much to do, so much wrapping, too many cookies, all those parties. I got to go to this in-law and that in-law and I don't want to go. Can I just stay home? Does that sound like the Christmas story to you? And don't let it be like the world sees it. Oh, Santa's coming. Let's bring my favorite toys and let's, let's get hammered and watch football all day. Right? That's how the world looks at it. No. You bring the message of joy. But you have to live it. It has to be real. It has to come from inside you. It has to come from that spirit he's given us. But there's joy there. Psalm 6, 11 says, You will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. He is in us. We are in Him, in His presence all the time. We should be exuding a fullness of joy. Do I have an amen? <laughs> all right. <laughs> There's got to be joy in everything we do and what we say. The world needs to see that joy. Here's some fun facts. What's the opposite of joy? Well, my first response was sadness. So in my, you know, the way I go about things, I... I look in Bible Gateway in, in the, in, on the internet, you know, free Bible software. You look in there. You can Google a word and see what serves up. So I Googled sadness and I looked in the New Testament. And the words sad, I typed in the sad rather, uh, it came up 18, in 18 passages in the New Testament. 14 of those passages, it wasn't the word sad, but the word Sadducees. And as you all know, Sadducees are sad, you see, because they don't believe in the resurrection, that they don't believe there's life after here. So, so I thought that was ironic, but, but then I was like, well, I can't really bring a message out of that. So, so I'm thinking, well, right, so, so what is it that we need to repent from? It's not sadness. There's a time for sadness. You know, and when we lose a loved one, we can be sad. It's okay. When we lose a friend, it's good to, be, to grieve with a friend. It's okay to be sad. You don't want to live in sadness the rest of your life, but sadness isn't a bad thing. There's a time for sadness. Even, you can even have joy in the midst of your sadness. But what I, what I learned was that we need, ironically, to repent of happiness. Or at least the pursuit of happiness. Now you're looking at me funny. I got your attention. We need to repent. Now wait a minute, what about this verse? We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. You all know that verse, right? Is that in the Bible? 
Oh, where is it? In the Declaration of Independence, right? Yeah. So, 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 so I'm not saying to you tonight, don't pursue happiness. It's almost gospel. I mean, it's as American as American can be. It's, it, you, you have the right and you should pursue happiness. It's, it's, we, 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 that's a, that's a self, something we should do. However, we shouldn't do it when it gets in the way of obeying God. If our happiness gets in the way of obeying God, it's a problem. And I think that is one of the areas that has really impeded our ability to have joy, is our pursuit of happiness. So I pursued that a little bit, and, and I found an interesting little um, slide. I, I didn't print it out, but I'll give credit to the, the Ebenezer Bible Fellowship in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. don't know who they are, but they had a neat slide, so I'm going to give them credit. Um, and they contrasted happiness with joy. I'll read these through to you quickly. Happiness is external. Joy is internal. Happiness is dependent on your circumstances. Joy is independent of the circumstances. Happiness is an emotional reaction. Joy is an emotional response, an act of your will. Happiness is having what you want. Joy is wanting what you have. It's rich. Happiness is external euphoria. Joy is internal contentment. Happiness is inconsistent. Joy is consistent. Happiness is temporary. Joy is eternal. Some good stuff in there. And joy is part of the kingdom of God, not happiness. I mean, we're happy, don't get me wrong. God wants us to be happy. But not at the expense of joy and at those temporal things. A couple of other points that I made. Um, happiness comes from pursuit to please yourself. It's self-centered. Even in your work for the kingdom of God. Do you give so that it can be pressed down, shaken together, and given more back onto you? Is your motive of giving to get more? Do you pray just so you can get healed? And then you don't pray at all? Do you serve to get praise from men? And, and when these things don't manifest, are you happy? No, you're sad. You're frustrated. You're angry with God. What happened? Because you were pursuing your happiness. Happiness is a counterfeit of joy. Joy is rooted in your relationship with and your obedience to serve God. Let me give you some scriptures to support that statement. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, we also, surrounded by a great crowd, cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And now it sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you think Jesus was happy in the passion? Enduring the shame, bearing your sins, being whipped and beaten by people who didn't know that he actually created them? No happiness in there. But for the joy. Because he was obeying his father's will and not his own will, there was a joy. And that joy was us. And so there's a joy that goes beyond or transcends his, his immediate happiness. 
Look at Matthew 25, 21. And this is a, and the parable of the talents. And, and, and the Lord said, after the, the, the man came back and gave him five talents more, he said, the Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things, and I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. If the Lord has given you something to do, be faithful in it and do it. It may be inconvenient. It may not be timely. It may not be your idea of what you want to do for him. But if he's given you a job to do, do it. And when, he, when you complete it, you will hear those words enter into the joy. Why? Because you're obedient to do what he asked you to do. John 15, 9 through 12. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you, if you keep my commandments, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Can you see the connection between joy and obedience? between joy and following through and doing what the Father told you to do? Well, how are we going to do that? Well, of course, the answer, same with sin. How do you overcome it? By the Holy Spirit with it's in you. How do you overcome strife and walk in peace? By the Holy Spirit of peace who is in you. How do you overcome and obey the Lord, the things he's told you to do by the Holy Spirit that's in you? He's in you. The king... Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's in us. He's right here. Tap into that and you can do what he's called you to do. So important. So, so to wrap this all up, I want to read this, this, this passage with you and then we'll have some concluding remarks and send us on our way in righteousness and peace and joy. Not because the night's over, but because you repented of your ways, right? So conclusion, we're going to read in 1 Corinthians 3. 9 through 17. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field and you are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss but he himself will be saved so as yet through fire. Verse 16, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. We'll go back and, and I'm going to point out a few things here starting in, in verse 9. Go back to verse 9. Look, for we are God's fellow workers and God's field and God's building. We are, we are his building. You, we, us, right? In verse 10, it says, 
wise master builder, Paul has laid the foundation, but another builds on it. So not only are we the building, but we are the builders of the building. So God started with the cornerstone, Christ Jesus, and then the apostles came and laid on top of that, and the saints that followed on top of that, this is our turn to build God's building. So we are builders as well as being part of that building. Pretty cool. Now verse 12 is a warning. If anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, or precious stones, wood, hay, or straw. We could say it this way. If anyone builds on this foundation with righteousness, peace, and joy, or sin, strife, and self-desire or happiness, which, which are you building with? Which are you participating in this process with? What are you bringing to the table to build this building? In verse 12. Verse 13. Each one's work will become clear for the day. What day? That's the day of judgment. The judgment seat of Christ. Saints of God, we will all stand before him. Every one of us. You realize eternal judgment is one of those basic foundations of the Christian faith? And, 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 and if you're new to Christ, you need to learn those things. But there's two kinds of judgment. There will be the great white throne for those who are not in the kingdom. But then there will be the judgment seat of Christ. And all of our works are going to be judged there. So all the things that you have done, maybe not even knowing your motives, but they were actually selfish. Maybe not even knowing you were offending somebody, but you were actually offending. Or not forgiving somebody when you should have. They will be judged. And fire will test each one of what sort it is. Next verse. And if, it, and, and if the work which you have built on endures, you will receive a reward. So that's important to know. Because it's not about getting into the kingdom because, because we are, it, the, the scripture says that, that your works of wood, hay, and straw will be burned, but you will be saved, but you'll have loss. What kind of loss? It has to do with your eternal reward. What kind of position, what kind of role, what kind of responsibilities will you be given when you get there? This has eternal consequences for you. So, so it's important to recognize that this, that this could be uh, consequential when you meet your Savior. And all of this will be exposed openly, by the way. So whatever you have been doing in secret, stop. <laughs> and start doing the right thing, for example. Verse 15 so if it's burned, you'll suffer loss. Otherwise, you'll be uh, saved, but through fire. Uh, 16. Do you not know that you, you, you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? I submit to you, church, that we don't know that. We hear it. We assent to it. But if we knew that the creator of the universe and the one who made you was, right, was closer to you than your breath, and we were consciously and constantly aware of that, how would sin sneak in? How would offense stand? We need to know that we are the temple and that the Spirit of God dwells in us. Next verse. And if anyone defiles the temple of God, including you, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. So to wrap all this up, this righteousness, this peace, this joy, this kingdom of God is at hand. It's within us. And it's time for the world to see it. 
because it will draw people to God. They will want to see something that's true and that's real and that transcends all the stuff that's going on out there. There are so many truths that are turning into lies and lies turning into truths out there. Nobody knows where to turn. We know. And he lives inside of us. We have to be conscious of that continually, daily. And that spirit of God that lives in us will then come forth from us individually and how much more as a body. It's on us to do it. And not only does this affect you, and not only does this affect the life of this church, and not only does it affect the lost around us who begin to see it, but now we can see this also affects our eternal reward. It has eternal consequences for us as his children. There's a lot at stake here. It's a lot at stake. Night is, is coming to a close. Uh, but the good news is that he is in us and that God does love us and that he chastens us and that he encourages us and strengthens us and he wants us to do well. Let's go before him in prayer, shall we? Father, we, we, we've heard these truths and, and we acknowledge that we have been living carnally as mere men. We acknowledge that we have not turned to your Holy Spirit as often as we should. We have not listened to you we acknowledge that we have not represented your kingdom on this earth the way you called us to. We realize that we say we're alive, and yet in many ways we're dead, and that even the things that appear to be alive are dying, and that we need to repent. We also acknowledge, Father, that we can't do nothing. We can do nothing of ourselves. We know, Lord, that our own, our own uh, desire, our own will, our own emotion, our own works, our own, our own programs, Nothing can make the difference in and of ourselves. But you, you through us can make all the difference. And so, Father, we turn our hearts to you and we turn our, our minds to you. And, and when we say we surrender all, we, we mean that, yes, your will prevail in our lives. Even when it's inconvenient, even when it's uncomfortable. Because we are in your kingdom. Help us, Lord. Help us to leave here and meditate on these truths of who we really are in you and who the world needs to see in us. And help us to start our day tomorrow waking up and thanking you that you are in us and to acknowledge you throughout our day. To be mindful of the traps and the snares that the enemy has for us and to avoid them because you lead us and guide us every step of the way. Thank you, Lord that this is a turning point for us and that righteousness, peace, and joy will be part and parcel of our daily lives, of our corporate worship, and our service unto you. Holy Spirit, this is your house. We are your temple and we will be holy. Now, if there's anybody here or anyone online that, that has not made the decision to allow Jesus to be Lord in their lives, who have not yet accepted the Holy Spirit into their hearts, we can, we can take care of that right now. It's a simple prayer. It's a heartfelt prayer that says, I, I need Jesus. I, I, I need Jesus. I'm not holy in and of myself. And I need to know that I know that I know that I am in the kingdom of God, so send your spirit. So let's pray together, and I'm going to...
try to go slowly so you can repeat after me. Uh, if, if this is uh, something you've never done before, pray this with earnest. Father in heaven, I need Jesus. I have been a sinner and I need to repent. I ask Jesus to be my Lord. And according to your word, I believe he has been raised from the dead. Now, Father, send your Holy Spirit to live within me too, that I can be part of the kingdom of God and I can live the rest of my days for you. Thank you for loving me this much. In Jesus' name, amen.